My name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC, located in California, somewhere between San Francisco and Sacramento. And it's an honor and a pleasure to have a fourth returning podcast guest, Dr. Colleen Huber. And she's located in uh, Tempe, Arizona, which is a uh, community within the Phoenix metro area. So I'm, again, I'm so happy to hear about the latest and greatest that Dr. Colleen Huber is, has done and what she's doing. So good morning, Dr. Huber. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing very well. You know, I'm doing great, and, and thanks for, for asking. And I just want to let our listeners know that this is, I believe, our fourth podcast interview. And, you know, I know when we first met, I'm not, I'm not even sure how we first met. I think I found you. And I called you, and you decided to do the, the podcast. And, I, and I'm not even sure at what level your information was, was being made public. And so could you please give a, our listeners a brief bio of who Dr. Colleen Huber is? Yes, uh, I am a naturopathic physician of uh, 15 years a naturopathic medical doctor in Tempe, Arizona. I primarily work with cancer patients, but over the last two years I've taken a particular interest in COVID because there are two very alarming uh, factors in the COVID era that make me very worried about future cancers, and that is mask wearing and the COVID vaccines. I see both as a potential risk. Um, mask wearing, you know, you and I had talked to Rick uh, year and more ago about uh, how the de depriving a person of oxygen, suffocating a person really is, uh, you know, that is known to be a risk for uh, the initial event in a new cancer. And that's been mm -hmm. known since uh, Otto Warburg won a Nobel Prize in 1931 for showing the world that uh, the first event in a new cancer is the loss of oxygen. So we know that mass deprived people of oxygen, uh, I'm working now with a legal group to try to get masks off of children um, and, you know, fighting court cases uh, for that. I've been a medical expert witness in court cases regarding the hazards of masks and the hazards of the COVID vaccines and other vaccines. And so uh, we've won every single case so far, and so I consider that uh, really good. Um, but we're still fighting all the way to uh, the U.K., I mean, mostly in the United States, but I don't refuse uh, help overseas as well. So uh, that's something that I've been doing. I've been writing two books, The Defeat of COVID, talked about early treatments, what works, what doesn't work, and uh, you know all the wonderful help that vitamin D and zinc and other treatments have uh, done for people who are at risk for COVID or suffering from COVID. And then I wrote my most recent book, just came out in May, called Neither Safe Nor Effective. And that is the evidence against the COVID vaccine. Between the two books, I cited almost a thousand different um, peer-reviewed studies and government web pages from the U.S. and uh, Europe and and Canada. So, um, you know, I'm trying to alert people to the hazards of the COVID vaccines before they go out and get shot. Unfortunately, you know, I missed about uh, two-thirds of Americans and even higher proportions in some other countries. But 
I've been trying to get that information out there about the hazards of the COVID vaccine since February 2021 when I first published this, these warnings. And now a lot of that has come to pass. You know, unfortunately, uh, the cardiovascular risks, you know, the infertility in both males and females after these vaccines, um, these are just some of the problems that we've seen, the increased rates of COVID among the COVID vaccinated, you know, the vaccines have negative efficacy. They are creating more COVID than they're preventing. And of course, there's a horrendous number of deaths that have happened in the people who have taken the COVID vaccines and permanent disability. We know of over 54,000 Americans permanently disabled right after these COVID vaccines. And so um, they're quite a risk and uh, well, anyway, I, you know, I, let me uh, let you get back to, I might be detouring quite a bit from what you were originally asking. Oh, no, no, you, you've been right on track. And, and some of the questions I have um, are within what you were saying. And I personally have no two people who have died from vaccines. I have a, a close family member, mm-hmm. I mean, real, real, real close family member that didn't have to take the uh, the, the jab and did and, and just at least for right now, has had some migraines. Now, I've also had family members uh, a little further away from my my unit, my family unit, uh, one a, a niece who's a nurse in Los Angeles uh, took the vaccine or the jab at the very last minute before losing her $120,000 job in L- at L.A. County, and now she has a full body rash. And Ooh. yeah, it's a, she lost the job even even after taking the vaccine. She lost the job. No, she kept the she kept the job, but she oh. waited until the last yeah. minute because she just she's had this feeling, and she didn't have as much information as people like you have or uh, my hunch that I had, and and some other you know things I knew about um, these type of pushes. Of, of, of people being immunized around the world. Like I've been in Africa, I've seen how some of these, these rogue players uh, put, this, put these vaccines on third world countries and then end up taking all of their resources because they can't afford to pay for the cure to the vaccine that was supposed to help them in the first place. You know, and, and then I've had a, um, another family member that had Bell's palsy was in the hospital for a week and, and a half and has recovered. And so it's just been, and then 20, 20 to 25, uh, you know, acquaintances, people that, um, even one guy, he's a, a, a state of California engineer, and he's always been on the, the government is always right type side. And we've known each other since 2004 when I left corporate America and he was starting his engineering career. And just two, uh, three months ago, we saw each other at the coffee shop, and he said, Rick, uh, I got something to tell you. And he just kept, he, he beat it around the bush for a long time before he told me, he said, Rick, if I had to make a decision to take the jab all over again, I wouldn't have done it because he uh, experienced uh, anaphylactic shock or that, that, that uh, illness where your windpipe shuts okay. down. Yes. Uh, it, yes. It could be life-threatening. Yeah. So he had to go to the ER, and the doctor told him, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. And then my friend said, is this related to the jab? 
And he goes, well, we're not sure. And my friend, is, he's like, he's the same age as I am. He's like in his mid fifties. He said, he said to himself, I've been alive for 50 plus years. I've never had this happen before. Never. So that's when he told me, he said, Rick, if I had to make the decision all over again, I would have never taken this thing because now he's not sure what else is going to pop up because he understands how it works, how it, you know, restructures some of the DNA code and, and, and you know it better than I do. But the point is, is he now regrets taking that shot. He regrets it big time. So here's my here's my very first question. Okay, so Colleen, you and I, we connected about a year and a half ago, and I can't recall how we connected. I think I saw some great information on you. My, my good friend lives in the area too. So it looks like you were right on day one about the, this COVID scare to, to get people to take the jab. And please, for, for, for the, 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 um, the pleasure of our listening audience, please do a recap about your suspicions going back to the first time you heard about COVID and, um, and then the leading up to people almost being forced to take the jab. Yes, well, it's uh, first I have to express sympathy for the people that you know who have suffered from this and the person who died and the person who hadn't been informed of anaphylactic shock, even the CDC admitted anaphylactic shock is possible and therefore that the uh, vaccination center should have intubation kits on site and there's pharmacies, intubation kits just in case that, uh, you know, somebody has that experience. Okay, but how how was this apparent very early on? You mentioned Africa. Now, Africa's history is very interesting, I think, because, you know, Bill Gates had been in there um, for many years before the rollout of COVID, and he had done some extremely uh, horrible things. And uh, for that, he's been uh, kicked out of African countries, not the entire continent, but African countries, he's been kicked out of India for very similar. And um, so in both uh, places, there have been uh, vaccines that were used in which um, they were tainted with uh, fertility-killing drugs, like, for example, the tetanus vaccine, um, you know, rolled out um, in India with, um, with HCG in it, which, uh, which destroyed pregnancies and made the young women infertile. That was attempted in parts of Africa as well. And so they had seen this. Now, Africa has been a very interesting role model for the entire last two years. The reason is that when they saw the familiar Bill Gates, uh, you know, coming again, even before he showed up with the COVID vaccines, when the COVID scare began, there were four African leaders who were notable for really being aware of this. Uh, Tanzanian president, John Magufuli, um, a very healthy 61-year-old, and three other presidents were prime ministers of Burundi, Swaziland, and Ivory Coast, I believe. And, you know, also uh, in their mid-50s, uh, certainly not aged, and, you know, generally considered healthy men all assassinated within a few weeks. Why? Because, I, well, I believe, I, well, I guess it will never be proven, but I believe it was because they criticized 
all this panic about COVID. And uh, Dr. Michael Foley, who's PhD in chemistry, he made fun of it. You know, you remember you uh, tested a goat, a papaya, and something else, and they all tested positive for COVID because the PCR test, he knew this as a chemist, he knew the PCR test is not adequate for testing. People assume that, oh, I got tested for COVID and I was positive, or I got tested and I was negative, as if that means something. It is utterly meaningless, and they don't realize that because they don't realize how easily the test was manipulated, how the inventor of the test warned, you can't use this to test for infectious disease, and basically it's a, it's a manufacturing technique. Um, it's a manufacturing tool, and what you can do is take a little molecule and just keep multiplying it. It's a technique for multiplying a molecule, and you just keep multiplying and multiplying until you say, oh, look how much we have. And, and then it had been used by opportunist people to say, oh, well, we're going to pretend that this means that you are positive for some disease, and now we're going to scare you to death with it. So there was that, okay? There was, you know, these African leaders who had made fun of this from the beginning, and I agreed with them. I thought, yep, they, they know what they're talking about. And then, okay, very, very early on in the COVID era, suddenly um, there was for no reason, for no good reason, there was a toilet paper shortage. And so everybody scrambled to the store and bought as much as they could and then hoarded it. Okay. And then that created, the prophecy created the reality, self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, okay, now there really was a shortage because people had went and gone in and grabbed a whole bunch. Okay. So, <clears throat> but I think by doing that, it made Americans who had never experienced this type of public thing before say, what's going on? What on earth is going on that we don't actually have a shortage of something like that, you know? <clears throat> and so we started paying attention to the news. Paying attention to the news is like, okay, here's a scary virus. You're really going to have to be worried about it this time. And Oh, and here's another thing that tipped me off that something was a little bit off about all this. For years, Anthony Fauci had been on TV saying, oh, this year's flu is going to be especially bad. You should really go out and get your flu shot. It's going to be really bad. But Americans, you know, we were used to the flu. We said, eh, psh, nah, I don't think so. You know, um, my family member, my friend took the uh, flu shot, got really sick. I'm not going to bother with it. And, you know, low uptake, people weren't interested in it. And then it was only 14% effective. Year after year, he tried to settle this. Nobody was paying attention. Now he said, oh, I've got a brand new scary virus for you. This is a really scary one. And it's coming out of China. It's like nothing you've ever seen. You're going to have to be scared. We're going to lock you down. Okay. So me, I just smelled a rat from miles off because Anthony Fauci tried to do this every single year uh, without effect. And now he was trying to roll it out like some scary thing. All right, so, so that didn't sound right. Then, um, okay, now you're going to have to suffocate yourself. Well, uh, with a mask. Okay, I already knew that is going to be a health hazard. It's been known for 100 years, masks do not prevent transmission of viruses. They have never worked against viruses, and they will not work against viruses. And so, you know, the mass populations around the world, whether different counties in the same state, whether different states in the U.S., or different countries, mass populations around the world got more COVID, not less COVID. They got more COVID. Okay, so, <clears throat> and more hospitalizations. Uh, you know, all right, so then what, what else did they roll out? They rolled out the lockdowns, and it turned out the lockdowns did not reduce deaths. In fact, the United States, the states uh, that did not have lockdowns had better results than the ones who did have lockdowns. Okay, 
So, and I mean, the ones who had lockdowns had higher mortality, overall total mortality, than the ones who did not have lockdowns. Mm -hmm. All right, so that wasn't looking right. Then you had people like uh, Vladimir Solenko, the late Vladimir Solenko, whom unfortunately we lost last week. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and Simone Gold, and um, Stella Emanuel, MD. And uh, who else do we have? Well, it, this was before the later ones uh, showing up, but these were the very early ones. Oh, Dan Erickson, MD of, yes. of California. Anyway, the early doctors, yes, they were saying, okay, look, you can use repurposed drugs. Hydroxychloroquine has worked really well uh, in our patients, and ivermectin as well, and, and use it with zinc, and then you really got something going. And, uh, but, you know, they were vilified, they weren't listened to, they were kicked off Twitter, yeah. And so, okay, then the whole thing snowballed as, you know, people like us who said, hey, wait a minute, you know, vitamin D is awesome against COVID and it's working very well. Zinc and hydroxychloroquine are working really well. Ivermectin is working really well. Okay, so we get shut down. And then, of course, predictably, the vaccine comes out. They've got a vaccine to sell. Well, now, by this time, they've created so much fear and panic in the population that Belgian psychologist Matthias Desmond says, you know what this is? It's mass formation. Everybody says, what's that? We don't know the psychological term. What's mass formation? It's a hypnosis, he explained. He said it's the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany. You know, you create a crisis, you create this intense fear in the population. And when people have a few different elements, they're subject to it. Free-floating anxiety, like a, like a nameless anxiety. They want to be anxious about something, but there's nothing, you know, there's no particular hurricane, there's no roof caving in, there's no flood that they can be anxious about. So, oh, okay, we'll be anxious about what the TV tells us to be anxious about. And then um, it also, you know, it's the people who have a sense of isolation and a, a purposelessness in their lives. These are the people who are especially vulnerable to mass formation. Turns out it's usually about 30 or so percent of the population. Another 30% are like you and me who say, Look, this sounds bogus. I'm not going along with all this nonsense. Yep. And there's another 35% in the middle says, uh, I guess we'll wait and see which way the wind blows and just kind of follow the crowd. You know, so, okay. And then when the vaccine rolled out, of course, the people in mass formation says, oh, I'm going to get in line first. I'm going to be lining up for that vaccine because, you know, I got to protect myself from this horrible, horrible COVID because by now they've been convinced it's the plague when in fact, it was basically the common cold, and it was uh, severely affecting obese people over 80 who already had other comorbidities, an average of four comorbidities. This mm -hmm. was the typical COVID patient. Yeah, not, not the people that they were thinking. They, you know, a lot of people mistakenly told uh, interviewers, oh, we think your, our, your chances for going to hospital with COVID is like 50%, whereas it was way, way down, way much lower than that. So... Um, all right, so that was kind of a history of why I was suspicious about all the stuff from the beginning. But then um, in very early 2021, when they were really rolling out these COVID vaccines, you were asking how I started to warn about the COVID vaccines. Well, mm -hmm. mRNA uh, technology for creating an injection for a therapeutic, this is brand new. It's untested, it's brand new, but the previous attempts had failed miserably. It had killed all the cats and the ferrets in the studies. Um, oh, and coronavirus is a very uh, poor vaccine target. Coronavirus mutates so quickly that by the time a vaccine is developed, 
manufactured, distributed, rolled out. By the time all that happens, the coronavirus is long gone. It, I tell people, I liken it to taking a very slow fly swatter and going after the fly. By the time your fly swatter hits the table, that fly is long gone. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> That's the best well, one yet. Seriously. No, well, the coronavirus, look how fast it mutated. First, it's the Wuhan strain. Whoops, before you know it, that's gone, and now we've got a Delta strain. Well, never mind about that, because that's gone now, too, and now we're on Omicron. Oh, forget Omicron. We're now on BA4, BA5. Okay, so it's mutating like this, like that, all crazy all over the place. But, uh, you know, the supply chain is slow, and the manufacturing is slow enough that we've still got Wuhan strain vaccines sitting out there on the shelves and expiring. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, countries like Denmark, they found themselves with extra uh, vaccines. They couldn't even give them away. They tried to give them away to other countries. No country would take them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if I read correctly, Ireland tried the same thing. Yeah, Ireland had uh, some extra doses. No country would take them from there either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, and so, then we had, and then we had mm -hmm. the, the situation with the, uh, with the Pfizer notes or the Pfizer documentation that was supposed to be under lock and key for 75 years. And this yes. one uh, lawyer, I think he was in Ohio, he basically won in court to release the information now. So tell us, tell us about what, how, what, how significant was that release of information? And do you think it changed the trajectory of, of Fauci's evil plan? That's what I call it. Oh, yes. Thank goodness. We still have some honest judges out there because uh, when the FDA, the FDA was in collusion with Pfizer about this. The FDA was saying, no, we'd rather take uh, 75 years. Well, first, we want 55 years, then 75 years to release 55,000 pages of data uh, that we've collected during these trials. Okay. And the judge says, that's ridiculous. You're going to have it all released within the next six months. So you're going to do a data dump, a document dump uh, once per month, and it's going to be thousands of pages, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to release it by court order. And so they had to do it. And so Naomi Wolf has got the, this team of uh, analysts who's working with her to um, look at each of these thousands of pages every time they're released for new information. But basically, we have seen uh, quite enough to know that um, these these vaccines should not be used at all because uh, they have had they have shown they have admitted to over fifteen hundred. Oh, sorry, are you still there? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, there was some deep. But anyway, um, there were over fifteen hundred different types of side effects that people had observed. Uh, sorry, that had been observed in the Pfizer trials, and some of them were quite serious. You know, anti-sperm antibodies, for example, speaking of the infertility problems. You know, acute, uh, like you say, anaphylactic shock. Um, you know, things that we know lead to permanent disabilities. Disabilities that are synonymous with polio and that nobody can tell the difference between these and polio. So, yeah. Yeah, I recall, I recall um, this one lady when these uh, adverse reactions uh, started uh, appearing, I think within like 30 days or less, like 22 weeks to, to 30 days. And it was a nurse, and I believe she was a nurse in New Orleans. And she had just taken the jab 
and I think she was still in the uh, in the no she was no she had taken the jab and then a couple days later she was in, in the ER and she said my half of my body went numb and oh, yes, it, it was a black woman and she said I don't I don't know why they're not telling people that this could happen she goes I never thought this would happen and I recommend people really think about taking this vaccine <laughs> because it, it, she basically said her life was at that point I'm not, I think she recovered but she said her life was ruined and and I'm looking at it like okay is this real cuz this is one of that was one of the first adverse reaction um you know least public public uh, publicized that I had seen so I'm thinking oh, okay well maybe that's like 1 out of 10 million then then other people started having some some uh, reactions and uh, you know including some well-known people some football players baseball players you know people who uh, were well known to the actors. public actors exactly yeah, actors musicians yeah you know and so i said to myself mm -hmm. and this is in the early stages and of course being a military veteran i recall the tuskegee experiment oh, yeah. how they yeah how they uh, they told these uh, black soldiers oh just take this this is good for you we're doing a little test or whatever and then it took them 42 years to tell the truth that they were being used as lab rats and they had to pay some uh, some money which was not even worth it i mean it wasn't even worth the pain and suffering but they they settled and they and, and guess who was behind it i um, believe i believe it was pfizer pfizer oh yes i did not know that but and, but i do know that it was a gross violation of federal informed consent law of the nuremberg code the universal declaration of human rights uh you know every medical ethics code on the planet but mm -hmm. the one that was really enforceable was um you know the federal informed consent law enforceable in this country so actually uh, the united states i believe was a signer to the nuremberg code uh, although there seems to be some legal um, dispute about that as to whether it really has force and effect, but that was such a grotesque violation of the Tuskegee experiment. Oh, and yes, the video that you mentioned of the nurse who had had that severe reaction of the paralysis. Yes, I remember her um, reaction, but it was soon followed up by others with similar reactions. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. videos of others you know afterward so you know kind of verifying her experience was not unique uh, others had had seizures and uncontrollable tremors you know uncontrollable shaking and and uh yes definitely neurological injuries uh following these vaccines yeah and just the other day yeah. i was talking to a guy who owns a, a, a hair salon and, and barbershop and this he didn't take the jab but his wife did so she is now the second person that i know that has had these uh, skin rashes because this his wife's beautiful woman now she she has a skin rash over her entire body so that's my my niece in LA and my good friend that I I've known for for 20 some years because I coached his son in soccer so I mean so these these adverse reactions when you hear about them uh, affecting other people people you don't know you go oh, well okay well I don't know I don't know those people, but when you know, you know, 25, 30 people, and that's just people I know. So 
So if you can, what let medical... Me, let me... Go ahead. Wait, wait. Can I, can I talk about that first? Because this is the part that I'm having a lot of trouble with. That, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I love the vaccine. The vaccine's great, and I'm going to go get it. Until somebody close to home gets hurt. I mm-hmm. don't want it to take that long. You know, we know from open bears that over 29,000 minimum Americans have been killed after this vaccine. We know a minimum of 54,000 have been permanently disabled. That's enough. That is a stopping point. Way back, you remember, um, 1976, uh, swine flu. Gerald Ford, I think mm-hmm. I'm in the right area there. Mm-hmm. Okay, somewhere around there. Oh, no, I think I have the years wrong. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, the swine flu, I believe it was 25 deaths, and they said, okay, that's, that's too much. We're pulling it off the market. And the swine flu was notorious. The swine flu vaccine was notorious. It was never revisited because 25 deaths were unacceptable. Now look how vastly many more people have died and become, you know, horrendously injured after these vaccines, and they're still not fooled. They're still celebrated by the media and the, uh, and the government, they're all the state governments except for Florida. <laughs> yes, my home state. Go, DeSantis, go. I, I, I love that guy. So, um, and, and Dr. Ladapo. Uh, Dr. Ladapo, you know, who tells oh, the yes. truth about this. And he was part of yeah. Simone Simone Gold's um, uh, American Frontline Doctors, I believe. And uh, when she was in Los Angeles, and unfortunately, I think she's been tagged with uh, some type of January sixth thing. But uh, yes, he, yeah, he yeah. is a he's an incredible doctor, and, and along with him and uh, the doctor from uh, Bakersfield, you mentioned his name already, because he was a guy. Uh, Erickson. Yeah. Yes, he's down in Bakersfield, three hundred miles away from me. And I recall when when he was talking because him and his, his business partner owned a uh, a clinic in Bakersfield, and I'll yeah. Colleen, I will never forget the words that he said. He said, he said, um, uh, a whole lot of cases, few deaths. He kept saying that over Correct. and over again, and the local t- television stations, you know, just excoriated him about uh, about his 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 take. On, on the coronavirus, but I'll never forget he said a whole lot of cases, very few deaths. He said that over and over again, and he was correct. So, Colleen, let's talk about yes. the book. You have an exactly. amazing book that you have put out, and also there's a, a Dr. Uh, Heath. So let's talk about what you've been doing with the book and what does the book have in it and and why is – because I posted something that you, that you, uh, you sent to me via email about the book and about – Several. I mean, you must have at least, you know, seven, eight, nine different subjects or titles in this book. Please tell us why this book is 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 very um, uh, attractive to people who want to know about COVID. Well, um, you know, right now uh, we are facing just the first few weeks after the FDA has authorized the COVID vaccines for the youngest age group. Well nearly younger, uh, six months to five years old. So toddlers are now uh, authorized by the FDA to get the COVID vaccines. Yet uh, the COVID vaccines have presented so many uh, injuries in older age groups that uh, a lot of us are just saying, are exasperated, saying to people, look, this is highly reckless. Just because the FDA authorized it doesn't mean that that makes it safe. But 
a lot of people's confidence in the three-letter agencies, the CDC, the FDA, et cetera, says, oh, well, if they approved it, it's got to be okay. And, you know, however, you, um, we had a victory recently, and that is the first week after the COVID vaccines were authorized for uh, these toddlers, the uptake throughout the United States was about 1%. And I took that as a big victory for the late Dr. Zelenko, who just passed away last week. And um, for those of us who have been trying to urge people, please exercise caution with this brand new technology that has already injured so many people. We don't know all of the effects, but the effects that we've seen are very cautionary. So please don't mess around with this. And um, so, yeah, the uptake in New York and California was 2% each. In Massachusetts, 2.5%. But around the rest of the country, a little less than 1%, which, thank goodness, that 99% of toddlers, uh, their uh, parents, at least for now, are saying no thanks. And I'm just very grateful that they are uh, exercising caution in that regard. But still, there are adults who may uh, feel coerced by their employers or may decide that they are doing the right thing by going and getting a fourth or fifth shot themselves this coming fall and winter, you know, because Moderna and Pfizer are all gung-ho about getting new vaccines into arms uh, this fall and winter and beyond. So I, uh, you have them on the one hand saying, sure, what's the problem? Just go ahead and keep getting vaccines. And the rest of us saying, no, this has already been a disaster in its rollout. People's immune systems are just getting shot, just mm -hmm. really getting trashed. And they're not able to uh, fend off uh, new COVID, nor are they able to uh, do very well against the other infections because there's so much damage to the immune system. So what I did, what I wanted to do with this book, is show the many ways in which the COVID vaccines are neither safe nor effective. Now, you know, I'm a medical expert uh, witness in court cases regarding vaccine injury, and some of this material comes directly from testimonies that I've submitted to courts of law in which, like I say, we've won every case so far um, because uh, these uh, vaccines are... Uh, you know, have failed safety tests, have failed effectiveness tests. And it's not just me asserting that, but rather I've cited over 300 studies in the book from the peer-reviewed medical literature, but also um, from government web pages where, you know, you act and actually can see the data. And not only that, from Walgreens themselves. Walgreens uh, week after week shows uh, the COVID positivity percentage in the unvaccinated. And then they show that same percentage for one dose same percentage for two doses, you know. Um, they look at each category, unvaccinated, one dose, two doses, and three doses. And week after week, the three-dose people are doing worst of anybody. And the unvaccinated tend to do the best. So, you know, if Walgreens is showing this every single week, uh, that's, you know, getting a little ridiculous there as far as, um, you know, this is one of the two biggest pharmacy chains in the United States, Walgreens and CVS. And, and they're showing this week after week. Why would anybody go and get that vaccine if the only goal of getting it in the first place was to try to prevent COVID and the only other goal was to try to appease uh, an employer who is too demanding? You know, and no employer should force medical procedures on any employee. I'm an employer. There's no way I'm going to force a medical procedure on any employee. That's just unthinkable. It is so unethical, so immoral. To try to do that, even to another person, let alone employer-employee, to any other person. It's just utterly immoral to try to force the medical choices on them, I believe. So anyway, 
Yeah, I go into those various issues in the book, you know, how the vaccines have um, mostly three different things that we know for a fact. We, we you know, uh, the case has really been made very, very clearly that the COVID vaccines contribute to the following three problems. An increased number of deaths of all causes, just any causes, um, an increased uh, number of COVID cases and, and hospitalizations for COVID, and an increased number of um, cardiovascular injuries or strokes, heart attacks, you know, um, myocarditis, pericarditis. So we know that. Now, there's additional evidence that, um, like the nurse in the video you named and other, um, other nurses who have had, you know, tremors, uh, paralysis, et cetera, you know, Justin Bieber and his wife both get uh, neurological. Well, actually, Bieber got a neurological. His wife got a cardiovascular problem, I believe. Anyway, um, we, we see this. We see it in celebrities. We see it in ordinary people. There is a lot of evidence out there of neurological injury, of cancer risk, um, of liver injury, and of infertility. But I did not address this in the book because I think the data is still incomplete there. I can't make as strong a case. I can make a strong case that this is a heart poison. And here's my point. Here's why I wrote this book. Whether than waiting for data on, oh, is it also a nerve poison? Is it also a cancer risk? I didn't even wait for that, and here's why. Because you don't have to prove that a heart poison also causes cancer. The fact that if you can prove that a heart poison, that's it. That's enough reason. Don't mandate it. Don't take it yourself. Don't have kids get it, you know? And, I mean, we don't have to prove the other poisons. We already have enough evidence right now to say that's it. Shut down these vaccines. Take them off the market. You know, they're not safe. Just let them go the way of the swine flu vaccine, very belatedly, and uh, unfortunately after so many injuries. Yeah, exactly. So that's and, why I wrote it. And you, and you also, um, you mentioned these, all this data by CVS and Walgreens. As a person who works in the financial services industry, insurance companies have reported that the number of death claims has have risen have have uh, risen, you know, two hundred three hundred oh, yeah. percent in the last. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, twelve to eighteen months, and they cite death death claims paid before the COVID vaccine, which was like pretty much like a, a flat line, no no deviation from the previous years, and death claims paid after the vaccine was issued. Scott, the death claims have skyrocketed now. If there's any type of tangible, believable data that people should believe in, in terms of the the recklessness of of this COVID vaccine, it has to be the the insurance companies, Colleen, because they pay real people when when the, when a death claim is submitted. They they've been paying yeah. lots of death claims. I mean, in the in the hundreds of millions, you know. Yeah. I, just in the last couple of weeks, uh, Lincoln, uh, I believe, is the uh, fifth largest in the country and admitted this massive increase uh, since the COVID vaccine rollout. But, oh, okay, now let me ask you a question, please. So, Rick, if, you know, if the, these vaccines are destroying the insurance industry, well, the life insurance industry is going to force all these payouts for all these untimely deaths. You know, and then that industry is going to suffer, you know, loss of premiums because now the person's dying and now they got to have these payouts. Okay, kill that industry. But also, look how it's killing commercial aviation. Uh, you do know American Airlines over this past 4th of July weekend 
Happy Fourth of July, by the way. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, okay. After the past Fourth of July weekend, American Airlines alone canceled 1,000 flights in that weekend alone. Why? Because one, they've injured and killed pilots, and on the other hand, uh, pilots have quit or they fired pilots for not getting the COVID shot. So. So they basically shot themselves totally. I mean, okay, so it's another industry bites the dust. Now they're going after the National Guard. And they're saying the National Guard has to get the clot shot. National Guard sees all this carnage that's gone before, and uh, I'm sure they're not thrilled about this. And earlier than that, the military generally, I mean, basically get the shot or get out was the message to soldiers and sailors, right? So, so why is, why are our, you know, the powers that be, do they want so desperately to kill commercial aviation, um, you know, life insurance industry, the National Guard, and the military? Really? They want to do all that? <laughs> well, I can tell you, my son, uh, uh, December 2021, he was one of those people that was working in the Air National Guard, and instead of him taking that jab, he did get out. And I thanked him so much because I'd rather have my son, uh, you know, I think he had maybe alive eight, and well. Yeah. He had eight years before retirement and uh, he had served active duty before, but he had eight years before he qualifies for retirement. I said, forget about those eight years. <laughs> I'd rather have you alive. You can, you're, th you're in your thirties. You can start a brand new career and you're alive. And, and by the way, he has two roommates that have uh, recently separated from the military. I'm not sure exactly why, but they took the jab and both of them are, one is, is coughing all the time and the other one is going to the doctor once a week. And these guys with my son, they worked together for two years and nobody had any health issues the whole time. Right. And all three young men got ripped off. I mean, yeah. the other two got ripped off of his health, but it is outrageous that your son had to sacrifice eight years ago to a full pension, and he had to sacrifice that because of an unjust demand from an overreaching government. Yeah, well, the husband of a patient of mine, he only had six months to go before retirement. Mm. Um, he chose to take the clot shot because he was like, I cannot, you know, do without this retirement. I've been counting it all, all these years, and unfortunately... He, he had to do that, or he felt he had to do it. He made that choice. But uh, anyway, every single one of the four of them have been ripped off, and I don't like that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that needs to be fought in a court of law because, you know, that kind of executive overreach. Let me, oh, here's an argument I have from the legal realm. Nobody should ever take my legal advice because I'm not a lawyer. I only know enough probably to be mistaken. However, I <laughs> do think that this is the case. Separation of powers was so very important to the founders. Uh, you know, that Article 1 of the Constitution, it's the very first article, it goes into separation of powers. Now, why is that? It's because an executive can easily become a king, can get, you know, very full of himself and uh, dictate everything like Joe Biden is trying to do, like Justin Trudeau tries to do in Canada. Okay, so there's a 
there must be a separation of powers. There must be a legislature, and that has to put checks on the power of the executive. Okay, but they can get out of hand too. So now we need a judiciary to put checks on the power of the executive and power of the legislature. So they all have checks and balances. So they keep an eye on each other and don't let each other get out of hand. Uh, I think that's very important and that really needs to be brought into uh, court cases now. It's like, you know, when Joe Biden says, Oh, you healthcare workers, because you um, receive Medicare and Medicaid funds, you will have to get this uh, experimental uh, product injected into you that I dictate. Uh, no. There's a lot of law that could be argued against that. There's a whole, the last chapter in my book, in fact, is court cases that are specifically about the right to refuse medical treatment. It's got a long tradition in the United States about the right to refuse uh, medical treatment. It goes all the way back to Union Pacific Railroad versus Botsford. And I cite the cases and I cite, um, you know, kind of pertinent quotes from the judge's opinions in those cases with references to uh, the case numbers so they can all be looked up. But it's specifically about the right to refuse medical treatment. That, you know, we, I mean, if you consider one of the hallmarks of fascism was that, um, you know, you will take this medical treatment because the dictator says so. Oh, no, no, no. In the United States, we have plenty of tools to fight back against that. And I think we do need to vigorously. And, and we need to start right away. So that's why Ryan Heath and I wrote this article that we put on Substack this morning about conscientious objections. Suppose you're a pharmacist and you know all this stuff about the COVID vaccines and the pharmacists are very well, you know, informed. They keep up on things. And, you know, in fact, that's the most specifically educated type of professional regarding specifically uh, the um, dangers or the risks or toxicity of medications. So they're the ones trained in it. So clearly they're going to know quite a bit about, you know, hazards of the COVID vaccines. But now you tell that person, well, we employ you, so you will give this shot. And the reason that Ryan Heath Esquire, he's an attorney, he wrote this because, I mean, the conscientious objection template that he wrote that we published this morning, um, the reason he wrote it is he wanted to explore legal tools that a person might give. And I think the most powerful thing, if I can jump to the end of it, was the end of it where he said, can anybody, even an employer, force you to assume criminal liability as in an assault if you know that this vaccine is so toxic that there is a possibility that the person you give it to will die or be injured? And, and then you become, if you know that and you give the vaccine anyway, and then you become party to criminal assault? And if so, can you be forced to be a party to a potential criminal assault by your employer? I think that's a really powerful argument because what employer is going to withstand that, um, that argument, I would say. So anyway, exactly. so we put that article up on Substack this morning. It's on my Substack, ColleenHuber.Substack.com. Yeah, and I will include that, uh, that, that article in the podcast description. And you were talking about, uh, you know, the conscientious objector. Here in California, there's legislation that I believe is still in draft form where they want to force doctors and, and, and medical providers to never say anything negative about the vaccine. Now, this is just in California. Yes, and I just heard, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I heard about a doctor who lost his license for talking against the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want like sorry, uh, so, I interrupted you. Oh no, that's okay. No, this is a free flowing interview. I, I love it, and I just want to let people know that uh, that my wife and I we went to, we came to to Tempe, Arizona, and my wife 
met with you and you helped her out and, and gave her some prescriptions for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So I just want to let people know that I know you. I have met you before. So it's not like I'm doing this podcast interview with someone I don't know who's, who just has sensational information. I know Dr. Colleen Huber, and I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope she did better after uh, after we met. And I think you would let me know that she was doing better, right? Yes, yes. She was doing better and, and never had any, any wild episodes, um, didn't take the jab. Uh, you know, so she's doing fine. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And again, I want to let I want to let people know that I know you. So it's not like, um, you know, we're just doing this interview from thousands of miles, not even 600 miles, really. But I know you. So here's my here's my last question. Well, thank what? God your family was spared to that shot. I, I'm <laughs> very grateful. About look, there that. was no way we were going to take that shot. I know too much. I know too much. <laughs> um, so here's my last question, Colleen. What do you think our future is in America dealing with both the health and the political angles of COVID? Well, that's the bazillion dollar question. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, let's see. That, Cause, that cause is we, really we hard have, to say. So you, you, you had, I have to tell you, you had one, you made one violation on the podcast. You mentioned the president's name. We, we go by let's go Brandon. Well, I forgot to send you that Uh-oh. memo. Oh, oh yes, yes. Sorry. I, I hadn't read that particular memo, but, uh, yes, with regard to Brandon. Well, Brandon has a uh, popularity rating in the very low percentage. Um, I think I saw this morning 88% of the country surveyed believes America is on the wrong track. For 88% of Americans to agree on anything at all, I mean, other than the sky is usually blue. I mean, you know, trying to get Americans to agree on everything is like herding cats. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all uh, meowing in our different directions. So... I mean, it, and only 10% thought the country's on the right track. And uh, his popularity rating is abysmal. And um, so, yeah, I have a feeling he's not going to really get much done. I mean, you know, my husband was just pointing out to me this morning, he's basically lost every court case uh, that he's tried, um, except for, of course, you know, the Medicare and Medicaid. He did um, get a temporary win on that, but I think that's likely to be overturned later. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it is really hard to see very far down the road. It's kind of, you know what, I, I have to tell you, you know who I worry about more than tyrants such as him and trust Dustin, bleh, Justin Trudeau, people like that? You know who I worry about more is that uh, hypnotized portion of the population, that 30% in the mass formation, because they're the ones that they get really, you know, into uh, being subservient to the fascism, the rest of us are going to have a very hard time. And it's not because of every individual strength in that group, it's because of the sheer vast numbers of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really only the, the only proportion that Hitler needed, really, to carry out, you know, everybody else was just kind of, well, I guess we better go along or we're going to get in trouble. You know, but he he had his uh, fanatical base, and that was adequate for him to commit all his atrocities. Well, it's just I'm hoping that those who are hypnotized are beginning to wake up, and and I really have a very good feeling about the fact that uh, in the first week after rollout of vaccines for toddlers, that uh, authorization by the FDA, only one percent 
of American toddlers who gotten it. Because usually, uh, it was Alex Berenson, journalist, uh, writing about this, and he pointed out, you know, the pent-up demand usually is that, okay, there's this pent-up demand, but they're not allowed to get it, and they want to hurry up and be the first, you know, as soon as it's authorized. Well, there wasn't the pent-up demand. Even in New York City, those pop-up vaccine tents were basically desolate, pretty empty. You know, only a few wackos go in there. And so I am so grateful for that. Because even though a lot of those hypnotized people are perhaps too proud to admit that they were hypnotized and they don't want to say to their brothers and cousins and friends and coworkers and, you know, well, you were right, I was wrong. Still, they've got to be having these nagging doubts. They've got to know that they're not feeling as well as they used to. You know, you go look at the tennis courts, and a couple of years ago, they were full of people uh, playing tennis at certain times of the week. Now, empty. There's, there's not very many people playing tennis at all. I mean, you used to see a lot more runners. At least I used to see a lot more runners running on the streets, uh, bicyclists, than I see now. How about you? Are you seeing, um, you know, I mean, it's just a survey of uh, one or two of us, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm not seeing nearly as many as I used to. Yeah, same here. I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole bunch of people out and about and, it reminds me of that movie, uh, The End Game, with uh, that that character Thanos, the one that wanted to wipe out half of the population. And for some reason, I believe they made that movie, and maybe uh, Mr. Gates sat in on the script because uh, he mm, wants to, yeah. he wants to wipe out the population. But uh, I, I want to let people know who are not in California is that things are not as bad as it seems with COVID because now you have cities like Los Angeles, uh, Berkeley, Oakland, I believe uh, uh, Berkeley, Oakland had this thing that said, and my wife's in the real estate industry. They had this thing that said, you must wear a mask when you're selling real estate and you're doing open houses. That little, uh, uh, that little rule <laughs> lasted about six weeks and he came back and said, okay, there's no more mask requirement. So I think what would happen, I, I, and I give credit to people like yourself, Colleen, and people that are on the front lines like yourself, and I also give credit to that, that, uh, that, that uh, data dump because I believe if that information was not released now instead of you know, waiting 75 years, they would still have us by the throat. Exactly. They would still have yeah. us because there would be no uh, – if, there would be no information countering what they've been saying. Fauci, Fauci would still be telling us it's safe and effective. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's safe as long as you don't die, and it's effective, right, to make you die. As far as I'm concerned, I think they're they're using these words in a in a different context than the people are used to. Safe and effective is not the safe and effective that we believe as as human beings. They're using it totally different and sort of in a dark way, I believe. So. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, safe and effective, just never mind the people collapsing all around you. <laughs> exactly. You know? And I have to be sensitive about talking about uh, the vaccine because I know people who have taken the shot. I have family members that have taken it. So I refrain from, refrain from, take, from talking about it in a negative way because I want these people to survive. I want them to live. They're my family members. They're my friends. I don't want them to, I don't want their health to deteriorate, deteriorate uh, to the point where 
now they're 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 starting to get really sick and you know and and the final outcome is not great so i i I really hold back on talking about it in public because these people trusted the government they 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 said hey the government will would never lie to me um you know some people work in the government some people you know the government has done some great things for people in, in in a way but I think the government took advantage of people this time. They surely did. Definitely. But, so, Rick, I have to ask you, let's say, you know, in the fall and winter rolls around, and those same people you're talking about, family and friends who took the vaccine, if they are at risk of going out and getting another one, at that point you will talk to them about it, won't you? Yeah, I, I would like. I would have to, you know, I, I tell people, that are very, very close to me, I said, okay, you took that booster. Please don't take another one. Just, yeah. just please do not take another one. Because the one, some of the ones that have taken the vaccine, especially ones I have a, a in-law that, have, that has taken it, he has even said, just you know, in, in conversation, listening, wasn't talking to me directly, but he says, oh, yeah, you know, people are getting sick you know, from this thing. And, uh, you know, Dr. Huber, I, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't like talking to people about it because it's, it's a very personal thing now. And it could be even a, uh, a thing where, you know, you see someone one day and then two months later, you, you don't even see them. So, uh, yeah, right. but I would, I would have to recommend to people, you know, in a, in a, in a very, you know, compassionate way, please do not take another one of these stinking boosters, please. Don't do it. Exactly. And also, I think we shouldn't assume that just because somebody was sickened by earlier vaccines that they've made the connection between uh, the vaccine and getting sick. I mean, I was talking to a woman who had lost her husband a few days earlier, uh, 11 days after his COVID vaccine. She said it couldn't possibly have been the vaccine. Now, this was the widow holding him in her arms as he passed. And it was 11 days after the shot. He had immediately started getting sicker after the shot, and she was vigorously denying that it was the shot. She had gotten the same thing herself. Um, yeah, I know, like you, I didn't have the heart to say, uh, look, you're mistaken, you know, because she was in the middle of some serious grieving going on. But let me, let me just tell you about uh, an incident that happened that I became aware of recently. A pharmacy tech was working in a, in a major pharmacy, uh, a man comes in looking extremely sick. He looked so sick. He was basically staggering, and uh, but he didn't quite appear inebriated or anything like that. She took his pulse. It was through the roof. He said, i got to get my COVID shot. She said, no, sir, I don't think you, you should get a COVID shot right now. He said, I've got an appointment. I'm going to, and the pharmacist said, oh, yeah, uh, come on over here. I'll give you your COVID shot. The farm tech stood in the way. So wait a minute. What are you doing? This man is so sick. I've got to call 911. I mean, he's ready to go to the, the hospital. He's, look at his pulse. It's horrible. I mean, you know, his eyes really do not look right. He should not be getting this COVID vaccine. And she stopped the pharmacist. She called 911. 911 arrived, you know, and they get the stress and everything. Oh, that man was so sick. They hurried him out of there and they hurried him into the hospital. She was right to have done that. The farm tech turned on the pharmacist after they had all left and said, after the man and the firefighters had left, 
and she said, you were going to vaccinate him. Did you see how sick he was? And now the, even the, the medics, the, um, you know, knew and saw how sick he was and they were rushing him to the hospital, but you were going to give that vaccine. So anyway, and people who have been really sickened by it are not necessarily in touch with reality yet. They haven't necessarily yet woken up to the problems and they might be demanding more of these vaccines in the fall, which could really make them, uh, you know, in deep trouble. Yeah, so I think it's it's, it's wise for people. I, I hope so that's why I do these podcast episodes because we know that the the alphabet uh, media will not tell. I mean, <laughs> I mean there are so many commercials when I when I drive in my car and I listen to you know contemporary music. Even conservative news stations are being paid to accept these pro vaccine ads. And I know they took yeah. the, they, they just yeah. took the money. I know they don't believe in it because I know the people that work there. And plus, I believe they can get sued if they don't take the ad. So they uh, they took the ad, mm. and they're and they're communicating uh, that the the COVID the COVID vaccines are safe and effective. And so that's why I do these podcast episodes so that people like yourself, and if someone happens to click on Spotify or or iTunes, and they hear this conversation. Maybe it will be uh, some information to dilute the, the 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 wrong information that they're getting from you know the mass media. So so Dr. Huber, I want to thank you for uh, being a guest today, and please give your contact information, and I will um, or your website. I will include that Substack article in the podcast description. Yes, uh, Colleen Huber, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-H-U-B as in brother, E-R, dot substack, dot com. And uh, my articles are on there. My office is in Tempe, Arizona. We focus on uh, cancer patients, and uh, I am a naturopathic oncologist uh, for anybody who needs my help with that. Um, but the substack articles, I I've pretty much uh, included the gist of everything that we've been talking about in one or another article there. Right, and your book is also on Amazon? Oh, yes. It's entitled, Neither Safe Nor Effective, The Evidence Against the COVID Vaccine. Look at that, neither safe nor effective. That's a, that's a, I mean, you're using their words on them, and, and, and appropriately so. So, all right, Dr. Huber, it was always a pleasure to speak with you and continue sending information. If there's another reason why we should do a podcast episode in the next coming week, some, something breaking uh, I will be more than happy to have you on as a guest. Thank you so much, Rick. It is an honor to speak with such a strong, smart, ethical patriot such as yourself. I appreciate it. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. And Dr. Huber, you have a great day. You too. Thank you.